We're going to talk a lot about the letter P this morning. Every sermon point that I'm bringing up starts with a P. And lucky y'all, I'm not a preacher by trade, I'm a teacher. So I don't have three points to preach on this morning. I actually have about six of them. (laughs) But yeah, I'm a teacher by trade, so that must be the reason for that. We're, we're picking up here in the Bible in John chapter 14. And the best way I can really uh, get that across is to bring up a show I hated. Well, that's a strong term, I guess, because you don't use the word hate in church, do you? Um, I disliked quite a bit. The, a show called Lost back in the early 2000s. A lot of crazy camera effects made me feel disoriented. Um, Creepy sounds, sinister music, suspenseful background soundtrack made me kind of lose my compass. I felt like I didn't know where I was at, hence the title Lost. So they did a good job making that impression with that show. Um, That's where Jesus' followers find themselves at the end of chapter 13 and starting into chapter 14. If you took your phone out right now and you tried to Google the word comfort and put the word Bible in there with it, you'd probably see a lot of different scripture references popping up on there from uh, Psalm 23, Psalm 27, Psalm 9, maybe even Psalm 119 because there's a lot in that one. Um, Psalm 46, of course. All these comforting scriptures, psalm after psalm after psalm. And then at the bottom, if you scroll down far enough, or scroll up as my wife calls it because her finger's going up, I see the screen going down. Still a debate in my house. I think I'm right. No, she's right. Um, John 14 is considered one of those comforting scriptures along with some of those other psalms that pop up there. And Is it any wonder the disciples feel like they've hit a dead end at best and they may be headed for disaster at worst? Um, Jesus has been hinting at going away. Um, When they had the Last Supper, he told them, this is the last time I'm going to drink wine until my Father's kingdom. They're still holding on to hope that the kingdom is some kind of a new nation that he's going to establish here on earth, but that's not the plan. A lot of times God's plans are way better than what we expect or can conceive of. So, here are his most comforting words here. John 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And like I tell my students at school, um, I would encourage you to keep reading that chapter further. But we're going to stop there and cover, try to cover some of this. We're not going to be able to cover all of even that this morning though. 
So we have these different things. Verse 1, we have a problem. Verse 2, he talks about his purpose. Uh, We have a promise. There's a path. Verse 4, they're perplexed. Verse 5, and then there's this profound pronouncement in verse 6. Kind of where the rubber meets the road there. So, let's look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. And you ask yourself, what? I'm not letting myself be upset here. This situation's bad and I don't feel good about it. Well, our thinking affects our feelings and we are in control of what we put in our mind, what we allow to go through our mind a lot of times. And that does affect our feelings. So we are in control of some of that. But in this panic-stricken state, Jesus can relate to them. He, he knows how distraught they feel. He is going through these types of things. He knows he's headed for slaughter. He knows he's about to be tortured. He's known that all along. And yet here he's trying to comfort them. Because they're worried about him abandoning them, leaving them by themselves. They've given up their life's work devoted to him and now they're distraught that it's all coming to nothing what they fear so in the midst of all Jesus is going through and we know that from a couple chapters before when Jesus said his heart was troubled he tells them let not your heart be troubled and how are they supposed to do that well it gives the answer believe in God but believe also in me and we live in a society right now that kind of claims to not even believe in the biblical God. They question that. Um, they argue over whether there is a God, at least the one in the Bible. Jesus had the advantage in some ways of teaching a group of people that did at least take for granted the, Bible, the God of the Bible. They didn't get everything involved with Jesus being God. Um, that Jesus was going to give his life and rise again. They didn't see all that ahead of time. We look back on that. We take it for granted. They should have known. They should have known. Well, the Bible tells us. The Holy Spirit reveals that to us. Um, Those things. So he had a churched group, for lack of a better term, to teach about himself with. A lot of times we uh, deal with people who may or may not have been in church and uh, they may believe in the Bible God but not know about Jesus they may not believe in the Bible God at all they're looking for their own God they're relying on other things to try to find peace because we're all looking for peace we're all searching for answers the only real peace is in Jesus believe in me he tells them don't run off in this time where you're scared to death, distraught, depressed, panic-stricken. They're tempted to run for the hills to save their own skin at this point. Um, Things are, are just getting worse. When they were headed back to Jerusalem, Thomas even said out loud... Well, let's just go back and die with them. He's, he's not going to change his mind. He's going back to Jerusalem where everyone... He's on everyone's radar. They're ready to take him, arrest him, get rid of him. Never really even crosses their mind that this man who performed so many miracles 
can people even kill him? Are they able to kill him? That doesn't really cross the followers' mind. But we can look back now and see, no, you can't kill Jesus. He, he'll just rise again. Verse 2, he tells them about the purpose why he's leaving. Could have stopped the sermon after verse 1. He gave us the answer, believe in me. But I'm a teacher. I can't stop after one point. Keep going. Uh, my father-in-law had a dog. And what was weird about this dog, she would um, bark every time he sat down to put his boots on. She would just bark, 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 bark. Just because he's putting his boots on, it didn't seem to make sense. We're like, what's going on? What is wrong with this dog? Very loyal. She would bark if you walked by his car and she was in it. She was a good guard dog. Um, she would hear anything. But when he went to put his boots on, bark, 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 bark. She had noticed a pattern. When he put his boots on, what was he going to do? He was going to leave. But why did he have to leave? Well, it wasn't so, oh, I don't want to be with my dog. I don't, I'm just going to leave my dog here by herself. No, he had a purpose for leaving. He had to go do some work. He had a mission to complete. He had a good reason why he had no other choice but to leave that dog there. She didn't like it. He really couldn't explain it all to her. Um, the best way he could comfort her, couldn't really even tell her the truth uh, about it. Best way he could comfort her is share half of his little Debbie snack with her. <laughs> because she would eat any kind of uh, snack other than those Bucky's tacos for some reason. She would not touch those. But like oatmeal cream pies, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, Jesus, instead of just saying something fluffy to make them feel better, like I do with kindergarten kids when they miss their mom, just three hours, sweetie. Three more hours. Um, he doesn't uh, coddle them. He tells them the truth, the reason why he has to go. A movie back in the early 90s, A Few Good Men, military courtroom, the scene has uh, this guy ready to court-martial somebody up on the, uh, in the judge's chamber. Tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. God responds, you can't handle the truth. Well, here, Jesus decides to go with the truth. Tell him why he's got to go. Sometimes that's the most comforting thing we can do. Is just give people this truth directly as it is. So he has a purpose, but he also makes a promise to them. A promise that he's going to come again and receive them. He's not abandoning them. That would mean he wasn't coming back. Um, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. Um... And here Jesus is trying to get through to his followers what's going on. He's, he's not abandoning them. He's coming back for them. The same way in his day, in his culture, in that part of the world, a groom would come back for his bride. Um, Steve Korn shared some information with me about uh, how they would arrange weddings. 
First, the groom's dad would go give monetary compensation to the bride's dad so that she uh, could leave that family and go to the groom's. So, they would exchange that gift. And then second, now that they're engaged, the groom would go back and build an add-on to his father's house. So he would have a place to start a new family. While he's building that, the bride stays back at her parents and prepares for the life ahead, not really knowing when he's going to come back. The groom doesn't even know because his father has to approve of the work. It has to be inspected and up to what dad thinks is good enough. A few months later, the dad finally approves the construction, hopefully, a few months. And then the groom gets to go back and and, uh, get his bride and bring her back. Surprise! So she really doesn't know when that's going to happen. And she has to be ready for that at any moment. Um, That, to me, is the closest to when you get engaged here. She doesn't really know when it's going to happen. And and, uh, it's like, whoa. And then you have the bride and groom hold a wedding party, sometimes a week long, several days, maybe longer than that, at the dad's house to celebrate the start of this new family. It's a joyous occasion. So here, Jesus' followers, his disciples are very familiar with that custom. They know what it means. He's making a promise as sure as a groom going for their bride that he's not leaving them alone. He's focusing on the family part of eternity, that connection aspect of it. No more loneliness. You don't get so caught up in the glitz and glamour of heaven to miss out on the fact you're going to be living in the Father's house. Not some isolated resort. Not a huge, giant mansion all to yourself. Better than that, the Father's house. God's dwelling for eternity. It's a promise to ponder for sure. When I was in kindergarten, we only had half day. So that may be why you're thinking, he doesn't talk exactly right. Not as much school. Um, I would spend afternoons after kindergarten was over from about one or two on watching TV. Up oh, there's my second flaw. Not always reading books. Sometimes watching TV. There were these, I don't know if they were reruns. It might not have been. I'm that old now. Wonder Woman. Linda Carter was her name. I remember that for some reason. Um, Then the Incredible Hulk would come on. I think before that actually Bionic Woman or something. Some super lady with super human abilities and some kind of dog that could also do crazy things. Um... The Incredible Hulk scared me. I'd have to run out of the room. But I'll be sure to watch it until that moment happened. Um, Then there was that movie. Musical. Scared me to death. All the special effects I thought were so fancy. Wizard of Oz. (laughs) At that time. Those special effects seemed impressive at the time. Um... The creepy flying monkeys, I could handle those. The trees, that was bearable. But that wicked witch, that red cloud when it popped up. Mm. 
And I apologize. I know this story was not written by C.S. Lewis, but I'm using it in church anyways. Um, Jesus' disciples were not, they might not have been singing over the rainbow, but they were dreaming about that. A better life. Something besides, I think, what Chad Poe called 90% taxation by a Roman government. Um, something better than that. About things getting better, but right now it's like a nightmare. Jesus is leaving them. They don't know what's going to happen. They're stuck in Jerusalem, which is the worst place they feel like they could be right now. Because the religious leaders are after them. Dorothy just wanted to feel safe and secure. And she was tired of all the farm chores. You know, those day-to-day routine things. She's ready for something more than that. Maybe something important. Maybe some kind of high status. Luckily, when a tornado hits, she ends up in a magical land that's supposed to be all of everything she's been dreaming about. But that's not the answer either. She just wants to be home. There's no place like home. And that's what these disciples really want. And Jesus told them he's going to come back to them and they're going to live in the Father's house. And they understand that because they know the customs of the groom adding on to his dad's house and all of that that we've discussed. Jesus is telling them he can get them to that place. But they've got to trust him. Not the easiest thing to do right now when they've hit a dead end and everything looks kind of scary. Hoping for good things is just turned into uh, a horror show almost. They've got to believe in Jesus as we covered in verse 1. That's their only hope. He's offering more than a perfect place. He's offering his presence himself to them. Verse 4, there's a path. Mostly because it starts with P. Um, He's re-emphasizing there's a certain way to get there. He's not telling them to go the yellow brick road route. He knows that hot air balloon doesn't get her there. Um, The ruby slippers, as beautiful as they were, I think they're silver in the book, didn't do the trick. Not really. He tells them he has to die to do it, and he's got to go away. He's got to be a sacrifice. That is the path. It's not some... Um, trail that you can follow and somehow God if I just do this, 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 this you'll accept me. It's not a really a way you can go yourself. Christ had to die and he did it. He did the path for you. You have to believe that as the only way. You can't help him save you. He did all of it. If God could have come up with another way, he would have done so. Christ views his words here as honest reminder of what's about to take place because he's told them before in John 12, 24, a single grain of wheat has to be buried in order for the rest of the wheat to flourish. His temple would be rebuilt in three days. They're like, what? We've spent a lifetime trying to build this temple in Jerusalem. And you're saying three days? Talking about his body. 
John 12, uh, 7, he said that she anointed his body for his burial. So he's told them he's headed for death. But they've been hoping things were going to turn out differently. Doesn't match their preconceived notions from the religion of their upbringing. Probably should have, but didn't. We live in a place, um, Pastor Poe talks about this often, where many people are churched, but they don't know the true Savior. They hear about God, they talk about God, but they aren't trusting Jesus alone for their salvation. If Jesus didn't pay it all, then why did he have to die at all? He did pay it all. He defeated sin on the cross. He defeated death by rising again. There's nothing we can do to help him save us. Once you believe Jesus, if you want to help him, share this news with others. He is the path. There is no path for us to follow despite, uh, despite. There's no other path for us to follow except believing him for our salvation. Verse 5, they're still perplexed. What? We've seen you perform miracles. Things have been pretty amazing. But why aren't you a king yet? Why don't we have high positions of status in a new kingdom yet? This is not what they expected at all What from a Messiah. They'd seen many die before. Many claiming to be Messiahs had been hung on crosses, tortured. As a public example that Rome is all that matters and don't revolt against us. Don't even think about changing the way Rome works. They're just shocked. They're perplexed. They're puzzled. This is not what they expected. In verse 5, Thomas speaks up. Just like that kid in college, I was so grateful for those middle-aged college students in my class. I was in college algebra. Um, just got out of there with like a B- and was thrilled to death, I think. Or, and then pre-calculus, the same thing happened. But the middle-aged students that would always raise their hand when no one else would and ask that question that I'm thinking myself, bold enough to confront the teacher when things just didn't make sense. That's how Thomas is. When they went back to Jerusalem, he voiced his disapproval. Um, here, he's just not so much disapproving as just questioning, how does this even make sense? We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going, so how can we figure out the way? Even to use Google Maps, you've got to kind of know the destination you're headed to, right? And just like that college kid, he speaks up, thank goodness. Because look at this answer that Jesus gives. It's amazing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. And uh, I said cometh because I grew up with KJV. And that was the memory verse. No other way except Jesus. What does that mean? I have to work for Jesus? No. Um, 
have to help Jesus? No. That's not what it means. Jesus spoke of a broad road to destruction in Matthew seven thirteen. A broad road. Um, that's been modernized with the song Highway to Hell. But he spoke of a narrow road that few would find. And the narrow road, what is that? Trusting Jesus. We really can't even take steps ourselves to follow Jesus. We have to let him carry us. And the way you do that is trusting him, believing in him, as he said in verse 1. Why is it so popular to go the wrong way? Well, we don't want to face our flaws for one thing. We fear our imperfections. We prefer trying out band-aids when we're bleeding out. Uh, when we need surgery, we, we just won't take it. Jesus offers us the simple solution, trust in him. We tune it out. We try to discover things on our own. When he's given us the only answer, the root cause of all the crazy things we see going on around us, the violence, the hatred, uh, offensive behavior, all that ugly selfishness we have, Jesus has given us the solution for it. Believe in me. Jesus provides the way, the only way. He's the sacrificial lamb. Our sin had to be paid for. There's no other way to cover the expenses. If there was one, why would he come, die, rise again, and show you how to have eternal life? There is no other way. A couple weeks back, Steve Korn preached about the Good Shepherd in the gate in John chapter 10. And Jesus Christ is the door available in the midst of a wall. Have you grown weary of banging your head against that wall and bumping up against obstacles? Hurdle after hurdle. Chapo preached on Jesus being the light. So why are we wandering through the darkness when Jesus offers light? Y'all may have heard a popular claim there are many paths to God, but that's not what Jesus Christ is saying here. In fact, the entire Bible boat points to his crucifixion as the only way. In the Old Testament, little lambs died one after another because Jesus was going to finally come as the sacrificial lamb. And as one more object lesson to show people once and for all that the true lamb has passed, there was an earthquake and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The true lamb has been slain. As Mark 10.45 says, he gave his life a ransom for many that one wheat seed dead, buried, rose again and so his kingdom can flourish and spread 
This is the good news of the gospel. Christ did it all because we can't do any of it. That should be a comfort. And it is a comfort to those who have believed. To those whose eyes have been opened. God gives us eyes to realize these things. I still remember when I first trusted Christ. And um, not saying that I know how it is for everyone because I don't. I don't know what your experience was. Uh, when you accepted Christ, when you believed, when you trusted, or if you even have trusted yet. But I know at that time, it was not my first time in church. I was a churchgoer. I was eight years old or so, maybe nine. And I was sitting in chapel service at church camp. And the preacher was preaching on crucifixion. And I know I'd heard that sermon before. But that's the first time that it clicked with me and that I realized my need. I had put him on the cross because of my sin. It's hard to face that at first. No one likes to feel lost. But when you face it and you see the solution there, there's comfort. I got a lump in my throat. I grab the pew in front of me. My mom looks at me like, is he still awake? Um, stepped out the pew and I know I'd already let Christ take hold by that point. But I went on down to the front and I prayed with the guy in the front of the church. And uh, confessed my trust in Jesus right then and there. So you're thinking the whole sermon's over and we just started talking about point six. The profound, profound pronouncement. He's the way, the narrow road, the only path to God. He's actually the vehicle that carries you there. People want to say there are many paths. You can't get to the moon just however you decide is right. You have to have a vehicle carry you there. He's the way because he's the truth. He is the truth in a time where people de debate the truth as if my argument is right. You have to agree with me because my truth is my truth. Jesus says he is the truth and what he's saying here is the truth. Tim Keller, former pastor in New York City, Put it this way, to stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make sense? We have to stop and think about the fact that truth is not determined by whether we believe it or not. Our belief does not make it true. Christ saying it makes it true. Kind of like this picture. You may have seen this before. There 
we're all going to the comforting lies booth because it makes them feel better for now. Then later they'll start feeling scared again because they really don't have any answers. And they'll go back to the comforting lie booth again and hear something different. Unpleasant truths. Really just unpleasant because we haven't tasted them yet. I had that lump in my throat at church camp. That wasn't fun. But it was the start of something great because that's where I saw my need and went and dealt with it, trusted Christ as the answer. It's not fun when your gallbladder goes out. It's not fun when you have a scraped up a knee from falling off your bike on the gravel. Sounds like I've done that before. But your body's telling you something's wrong and you need to know that and you deal with that. You don't ignore it. So it's time for us to stop ignoring the truth and accept the way Jesus Christ. If you've done so, this is a reminder that other people haven't and we've got to share that. Hebrews 12 two, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is the author and finisher, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In Revelation 1, here is a description of the Lamb as he sits on his throne in heaven. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like white wool and like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun Shining in full strength. There's the king in all his glory. There's the Messiah as his followers. Well, not even more glorious than what they would have expected, but in this all his strength. But he had to sacrifice first. Thinking of Jesus on his throne, that is someone we need to take seriously. If you take the lion seriously, you take the lamb seriously as well. He's the way, he's the truth, he's also the life. I grew up in a time where there was a lot of hype in the 1980s. I know, scandalous. That was a long time ago. Um, there was a lot of hype about walking the talk. And what people meant was you did not earn the right to share the Bible with others unless you were living it out. It was kind of like our society's way of trying to shut up the Christians because it was bothersome to them to hear the truth. They didn't want to deal with it. And there was still a lot of street preaching going on. Basically telling you, you got to practice what you preach. And anytime you were going to witness to someone, they would point out a flaw that they thought you had to discredit you so you weren't able to help them in a way they didn't want to be helped. 
But no one can say Jesus didn't practice what he preached. No one can say that. His life, as recorded in the Gospels, perfectly encapsulate what it means to graciously, in the most compassionate, God-glorifying way, offer people exactly what they need. Not always what they want because we want things that aren't good for us. Like a teenager, like a two-year-old, like, uh, like me. Eating a half gallon of bluebell without thinking about it. Oh, good, it's only a half gallon in that bucket. He restored people's physical ailments because more importantly, he could heal them from the inside out. I probably brought this up the last time I preached, but I'm always shocked by that story in Mark chapter 2. And it's elsewhere. I can't remember what, where it's at in the other gospel, so I don't bring that up. Mark chapter 2, when they're peeling away the roof, which tells you right there their roofs were different than ours. And they dropped a man down who can't walk because he just needs to get to Jesus. Wish we tried that hard to get to Jesus. Um, Jesus sees him coming down from the roof. He knows what's going on. And the first thing he says is not, go walk. You can walk now. It's not what he tells him because that's not his biggest problem. He tells him, your sins are forgiven. Don't worry about it. And you're like, that's not why I came in here. I came in here so I could walk. But you know, That's only going to do you so much good because eventually you're going to die and then you're not going to need to walk anymore. That's not going to be your problem. You're going to need... You're going to need... It's not my biggest problem right now. Your problem. This contraption... I'm going to have to practice. The devil's messing with me. Um... When we die, we need to know where our soul's going to go. And according to Jesus' own words, broad road goes to hell, narrow road goes to heaven. Few there are that find it. We sing about, do you have ears to hear? Well, some people don't. What do you mean everybody has ears? Well, everybody in my class has ears on their head, but they're not listening. Um, They're not tuned in. So Jesus says there are few that find the narrow road. How do you know you found the narrow road? You believe in Jesus. You've believed on him. You've trusted. God gives us eyes to realize that when the time is right. And that time may be today. This may be the day of salvation for you. Greatest day of your life. Some people have to hit rock bottom in order to have that most joyous occasion of their life. They've tried everything else. They've tried every type of vital you can think of to try to find peace, to try to get a better life, to try to find answers. Unlike many belief systems, Christ is not offering his followers a better life. He's telling them he is life and there's no life without him. You can go in a Christian bookstore and find books about needing more money. That's not your biggest problem. Um, about healing your sicknesses, that's not your biggest problem. 
if you haven't trusted Christ, your biggest problem is you need to trust Christ and believe. Have you taken the medicine? Have you accepted the surgery for your soul? Dorothy started out wishing for the rainbow, but in the end declared, there's no place like home. Home is with Jesus. And the only way to get there is through Him. Do you believe that? Jesus died and rose again to defeat sin and death. He paid the penalty for our many, many sins. Even our ugly, dirty selfishness. Is God giving you eyes to realize that? He told the thief on the cross, a convicted felon criminal, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Because that man believed that he was the Savior. It's not too late. Today may be the day you need to trust. It doesn't make all your troubles go away, but it gives you peace for your soul. Al Moeller, president of Southern Theological Seminary, sums it up like this. And boy, do we need to hear this today more than ever. If all we need is a teacher of enlightenment, the Buddha will do. If all we need is a collection of gods for every occasion and need and hope, Hinduism will do. If all we need is a tribal deity, then any tribal deity will do. If all we need is a lawgiver, Moses will do. If all we need is a set of rules and way of devotion, Muhammad or Joseph Smith would do. And if all we need is inspiration and insight into the sovereign self, for crying out loud, Oprah will do. But if we need a savior... Only Jesus will do. You look around our society, people just scratch their heads. What's going on? What's going on? I can't go into the shopping center, the the grocery store, without getting run over by someone's cart because they're pushing me around. It was similar in Jesus' day. The Pharisees would walk down the middle of the road and shove everyone else to the side. Get out of my way. I'm more important. It's just that human nature, selfish instincts that we have. Jesus is offering you a solution to that. Trust in Him. Quit struggling to make yourself better. It cannot happen. You can't be transformed from the outside in. It has to be from the inside out. Get rid of the facade. Quit trying to pretend like everything's okay. Don't tune out the real issue here we need Jesus if you need someone to talk to if you notice your soul is starving come find me grab someone near you we're here to help and we need each other we all need Jesus he's the way because he's the truth and the real eternal life 